Well, it is an honor and an opportunity to get to share this morning. I so appreciate Pastor Scott and his willingness to, to share the pulpit and allow the, the elders to come and, and, and share and preach. Um, and it's always an honor and a blessing to, to get to have this opportunity to be up here. I learned so much, and God works in my heart so much as, as I prepare and, uh, and then speaking that to you. And uh, as, <clears throat> as we go today and as we, as we go through the message today, I want to kind of do a two-part sermon. As I, as I prepared, there's kind of two big nuggets that the Lord continued to point out to me um, as, as we went through this. So please forgive me for the hard left in a little while that we're going to take as we hit part two. Um, in the message, but I feel like both are, are, are important, so we want to go down both of those roads. So uh, as we begin this morning, let's think about where we are so far in chapter 9. We pick up in verse 18. So what's taking place in those first 17 chapters? Jesus has come across in the boat. He's healed the paralytic. He's called Matthew to be his disciple. Now he's in the house with people from all different walks of life, right? We've got the Pharisees, we've got tax collectors, we've got his disciples, we've got John's disciples. And he's speaking, and into the room comes the ruler with a question for Jesus. And that is where we begin this morning, picking up in verse 18. And I want to just read for you this passage, 18 through 34. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to, to read along with me. But I want us to, to read it and, and see the picture of the evening as a whole. Beginning in verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, to them being John's disciples, they'd ask him a question. While he's saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never, never was anything like this seen in Israel. The Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. A lot happens in those 16 verses. Just catch your breath for a minute. There are a lot of things that just took place. And as we think of the big picture, we think of these four people, the ruler who's lost his daughter, the woman who's been struggling with this illness and this issue of blood for 12 years, the blind men and those who want to hear the voice of this one who's oppressed by a demon and mute. 
What do we see in common out of these four people? Just take a moment and think about it. What do we see in common out of these four people? Faith? Oh, man, you've already read this part. Okay, we're coming back to faith. What else? Good, Amber. That was awesome. What else do we see? Do what? A need. A need. Good. What else do we see in them? A desire. A desire to be healed. Yeah, they're seeking something. There's a desire there. Anything else? Those are kind of my big three. Something beyond the reach of man to help them. Yeah, right? That beyond the reach of, beyond what worldly can do. Something bigger than that. Anything else? Things, things never seen before. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's, that was their expression, right? We've never seen this before in Israel. There's something different here, yeah. Good, good, yeah. As we begin to, to think about this, it's something we talked about in the first service too. So many times when we read scripture, we read it and we go, man, that was a great story. And we sometimes forget these are historical events. This is a history book. This is truth, right? These are things that are taking place in the lives of these are real people that we see in this section of scripture. And the three things that I kind of keyed into as I, as I look at the, these four people and their interactions with Jesus is, is along the lines of what you guys said. The first thing I see is that there's a, a, a desperation in their life. There is a desire, right? This, this ruler comes in. His daughter is dead. There is no fix for dead other than Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so here he is. He's desperate for the Savior, for this Jesus to come and put his hand upon his daughter and maybe, just maybe, life will return. This woman, as we read in other accounts, it says she's had this, this, this discharge for 12 years and she's been subjected to all the things of their modern medicine. They've tried everything to heal her. And she's not getting better. Actually, she's getting worse. And to put salt in the wound of the sickness is that because of the discharge of blood, she is considered unclean and therefore cannot be in community with those around her. She's desperate for community and for healing. And those who are blind, no one's ever fixed their blind eyes or been able to, but maybe this Jesus can give us sight. And those who bring the demon oppressed to him, perhaps there is freedom to be found in this man. Maybe it's the first time that they want to hear his voice or they want to hear it again. But we see what is happening to him and the man himself desperate to be free. And in that desperation, it inspires them to a boldness, right? A boldness for the ruler to come into the house and say, Jesus, I know you're at dinner. I know you're teaching already, but let me interrupt you for just a moment. My daughter is dead. Let me pull you away from what's happening here. If you could just come to my house, that's a boldness, right? I'm going to interrupt the teacher for what's going on in my life, but it's so important right now. The woman... <laughs> 
The woman who, who touches just the hem of his garment, right? As again, as we read in other accounts, it says that the crowd was all around Jesus and, and pressing in on him. And, and when she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus felt his grace and his sovereignty go forward. And he stopped and he said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, Jesus, look around. <laughs> Are you serious? Everybody touched you. Like we're all bumping into each other. This is nuts. What do you mean? Who touched you? And he says, no, no, no. I, I, I felt I felt my, my, my sovereignty go forward. I felt the healing. And the woman sheepishly approaches and says, it was me. There was a boldness to elbow her way through the people just to touch the hem of his garment. And for the blind man, as is, is, is Jesus leaves the home of the, of the ruler, after he's raised from the death, they, they don't know exactly where he is. They're blind, right? They can't see him, but they're going to cry out above the crowd, Son of David, have mercy on us. Please don't listen to anyone else. Hear our cry and come to us. A boldness. And those with the demon-oppressed friend to make their way in through the crowd to catch him, to catch him just for that chance. And that desperation has led to a boldness. And then the ultimate and the greatest uniting factor is faith. Believing that if I can just have this Jesus put his hand upon my daughter, she will live. If I can just touch even the hem of his garment, I will be healed. The faith that they have not as Walter said it, and they said it in there, we haven't seen these things in all of Israel. The faith to say it's never been done, I haven't seen it. It's beyond the, 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 the abilities of this world, but healing is possible. And so I'm going to have faith to go forward. And so the first big lesson that we can draw is just that. The importance of faith. The power of faith. The steadfastness, steadfastness of faith. And that faith begins here in the cross, right? If you're here today and you've never taken that first step of faith, to believe that what was done for you on the cross when Jesus took your sins to the cross to die for your sins, to set you free, then this is where it begins. If you have taken that step, then to begin walking out in faith, those promises that are made to you in his word. That he is good, that he is gracious, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is powerful and he is victorious. And those things are given to you as his sons and daughters. But faith is something, right, that we hear about and we talk about in Christian circles. But it's often one of those words that's thrown out but not often observed or thought that hard about. We live, we walk by faith and not by sight. We, 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 by grace through faith, you have been saved and, and it pops in and out of here. But what does faith really look like? To better understand faith. And we could go to Mr. Webster and ask him what he thinks, but I think the best place to go is the word of God. So let's jump over to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. As we look at those four people in this passage, right? The assurance of things hoped for. I know he can do it. I know that I can be healed. I'm hoping that the healing is coming. I know that it can be there. And I have a conviction that will drive me to be bold. That I haven't seen that healing yet, but I know that it is possible. And in that conviction, I will interrupt the teacher in the house. I will make my way past the people in the crowd. I will cry out above the noise to be heard. The assurance of things hoped for, for we as his sons and daughters in the cross and in heaven and the conviction of things unseen. And when I think about faith and I think about this passage in Hebrews 11, I'm drawn back to, to our friend Thomas, affectionately called and unfairly, I might add, doubting Thomas. Right. So journey with me back to one of the places we see this in John chapter 20. And let's join the disciples for just a moment in the upper room. Now, there's some key things that we see. The disciples are in the upper room. They've gathered, but they've locked the door. So they're still pretty afraid, right? We might be next. The story and the, 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 that it's out there that Jesus has risen, but they're unsure. And they've gathered in this upper room, locked the door, hiding away and afraid. And Jesus suddenly is there amongst them, even though the door was locked. And what is his first words to them? Peace. Peace be with you. I know that you're afraid. Peace be with you. Now, again, as we read in other accounts, they thought he was a ghost. Their eyes don't believe what they see. It's got to be his ghost. He was in the grave and they said he risen, but we don't know. He's got to be a ghost. Peace be with you. Come see the scars. See the holes in my hands and in my side where they pierced me and know that I am alive. And they do, right? And their eyes are open and they, it's Jesus, he's alive, it's real, this is amazing. And Jesus is there for a little longer and then he's gone. And up comes Thomas, maybe it's a secret knock on the door, I don't know what, but they let him in because they know it's Thomas. Lock the door behind him and they say, Thomas, Thomas, he's alive, he's real, we saw him, we, we saw the scars, we saw the holes in his hands and in his side, he's real, he's real. And Thomas says, wait a minute, I can't believe you until I get the same. Until I get to see, I get to put my finger in the holes and my hand in his side. I won't, I don't, I, I can't believe you, right? And, and we, we call Thomas Doubting Thomas because he wanted the same thing that they got. And I think about it this way as, as, as I think about faith and those things. If, if I were to give this to you, what would you say I'm giving you? Soup, chicken noodle soup. Why would you say I'm giving you chicken noodle soup? That's what it says. It's what the label says, right? Can you see the chicken noodle soup? No. What happens if the machine got mixed up and this is tomato soup, but the wrong label got put on it? Right? This is a small practice of faith that we go through every day. Because if my neighbor comes and asks for chicken noodle soup, I'm grabbing this can and giving it to him and fully expecting them not to return and say it was tomato. Thanks a lot. Right? Belief in things that are unseen. And this is what they're asking Thomas to do. But if I hold this up, what's in here? Ranch. How do you know it's ranch? You can see it, right? I can, I can pick out ranch on any salad bar in town. <laughs> I don't need the labels. I can see through the bottle. I know what that looks like. And I know ranch because I can see it. 
You see, the disciples, they got a ranch experience, right? They got to see it. And they asked Thomas to have chicken noodle faith, right? Because he hadn't seen it yet. And he said, until I get a ranch experience, I'm not going to believe it either. And this is that picture of faith, the conviction of things hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things unseen. But Jesus, in his graciousness and his goodness, comes to Thomas, right? A little while later, they're in the room, and Jesus shows up again, and he says, Thomas, have your ranch experience. Come, put your fingers in the holes and your hand in my side. And know that it's me. And his response is, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed is those who believe and have not seen. That's us. That's the faith being walked out. We didn't see Jesus on the cross but we believe. We don't tangibly see his love around us or in our lives, but we know it's there. His grace, because we know it in our own lives, we are able to extend it to those around us. His goodness, his victory that we can stand and though the devil may attack and though those things may come against us, we can stand strong and know that we are victorious in the end as sons and daughters of the living God. The things hoped for in heaven, the conviction of the things unseen that are taking place right now in our lives. And we saw it in those four. As it moved them to be bold and to seek healing from the one who can heal. Jesus. And then we have those Pharisees, right? That last verse. How many ranch experiences do they need? Right? They've been there all along. They've seen these things. We've heard their cries and we've heard them making their commentary as Jesus is performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And instead of responding in faith, what's their response? He's an agent of Satan. He can only do that. He can only cast out a demon because he is one himself, which makes no sense in the first place. But, but they've turned their hearts and they've hardened their hearts towards what is right in front of their eyes because it attacks their control and it makes them uncomfortable, takes away their power, and says they just might be wrong. And so they begin to make excuses and to disapprove and to spread lies to try to discredit. If God is giving you some ranch experiences today to experience his love and crying out to you, if you've never taken this step to the cross, perhaps you have and he's reaching out to you to come back. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't turn your heart and harden it because you're afraid of losing some control of things here on this earth. 
for control of things in your life because the things to come and the freedom on the other side is far greater. Is far greater to live a life of faith. And so faith is the first kind of big nugget that we see here in this passage. And as we think about in our own lives, to grow in our faith, to strengthen our faith in our Savior and in our God. We even see Jesus acknowledge that faith in the woman and the blind man, right? He says, by your faith, you are made well. By your faith, so it be done to you. He, he, he even challenges the blind man a little bit, right? He says, do you really think I can do this? And their cry of have mercy on a son of David, that was actually a cry of acknowledging him as the Messiah because the prophecy was that the Messiah would be the son of David. And so they're acknowledging even that, their faith in him of who he is. And he says, do you really believe this? Do you really have faith? Do you really believe that I can do this? And they said, yes. By your faith, let it be done unto you. Wow. The power of faith in their lives and in ours. And in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's where I want to make our left turn into kind of the part two of this sermon. As we walk in faith, and I read Ephesians 2, and I come back particularly to verse 10. We are his workmanship. Good works created in Christ Jesus, created beforehand, that we may walk through them. And I read that, and I think, holy moly! That's an incredible statement. Elsewhere in Scripture, we are told that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are the light unto the world that we get to carry the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are his workmanship. In other, in other versions, it says his masterpiece. You mean Psalm 139 is true? He did really knit me together in my mother's womb. He really did this on purpose? Yeah, he did. My strengths, my weaknesses, my gifts, my talents, my hobbies, my family, my job, my relationships. You mean those have purpose? Yeah, it does. Because there were good works created beforehand that we might walk through them in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I get a little bit excited. I get a little bit excited that God would use me in such a way. God would use you in such a way that there are relationships and people that you have a stronger voice than anybody else ever will. The light of Christ can shine brighter into the darkness in those places better than it could from anyone else. Yeah. And I get excited. But then I also begin to look at my life and I say, Lord, this is so cool, but when? Where? How? 
And I want to come back to chapter 9, and, and I want us to just think about for a moment this day for Jesus. I want to just take you through in these first 34 verses the things that we see Jesus do. He heals a paralytic and rebukes the Pharisees and the teachers, and he teaches he sees Matthew and he calls him to be his disciple. He begins eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. He's teaching and he's rebuking the Pharisees once again, teaching off of the questions from, the, from John's disciples. Then comes the ruler. He gets up. He leaves with the ruler. He heals the woman along the way. He raises the ruler's daughter from the dead. Then come the two blind men. He heals them and followed by them is the demon-oppressed man who he sets free. That was a busy day. Jesus is a busy guy. Yeah, 12 to 12, right? No wonder Jesus needed to get away from time to time for a quiet moment with the Father to recharge. He is so busy. People wanting his attention and coming to him for these things. Jesus, you just got to catch your breath after you read chapter 9. And as I read through it, some other piece that pops out to me is, is you've all written papers and given speeches and done those things, those transitional phrases, right, that kind of shows we're, we're moving forward or moving to the next thing or the passage of time. And this is one of the things I often think about and as I read Scripture, too, is sometimes we flip a page and 10 years have passed, right? We're, we're hearing the story, the, the account of what took place. We, we flip a couple pages and 40 years in the desert are gone. And we forget the amount of time and the patience and the faithfulness that is required as we read through those things. But sometimes, too, when we read scriptures like this, we miss how short that passage of time is. And so these transitional phrases, I just want to give them to you as we walk through chapter 9. It says, in the beginning, he healed the paralytic, and as Jesus passed on from there, so as he moved forward, he saw a man called Matthew. Then we find him in the, in the house eating dinner, and then the disciples of John came to him saying, so while he was there, while he was saying these things to them, the disciples of John, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him. And as Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples, we see him in the house or headed to um, uh, the house when Jesus came to the ruler's house. And as Jesus passed on from there, being the ruler's house, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man was mute, who was brought to him. Do you realize, do you see the transitional phrases? There is no break in the day. There is no passage of time. It's as he was going, as he was moving, as they were leaving, the next one was coming. And we really begin to realize just how busy Jesus' day was, just how intense those 16 verses we just read really were in the life of Jesus. And I think about that, and I think about my own life, and I think about our lives, and I begin to put those transitional phrases in for us. Wake up in the morning, crawl out of bed, perhaps a bit late because I'm so tired. Get up, get dressed, get ready for work, get my kids ready for school. Make breakfast if we have time for breakfast. Eat breakfast, clean up from breakfast. Get in the car, drive to work, drive to school, get the kids dropped off, go to work, start that project. Continue to work on that project. Stop for lunch, go run an errand on my lunch break while I'm eating lunch because that's the only time I have to do it today. Get back to work, finish the project, wrap up the day, go get the kids from school, get them to practice. Go to the thing that I have that night, the, the pickup game at the basketball or whatever that might be. Finish that. Go to the store. Get the groceries. Get home. <sighs> cook dinner. Eat dinner. 
clean up from dinner, get the kids ready for bed. Oh, and Jay's going to ask me about my scripture memory on, summer, on Sunday. So work on my scripture memory, spend some time with the Lord, and then fall into bed and probably be asleep before my head hits the pillow because I'm so tired. And get up the next morning and do it all over again. And we look at our lives in any or all parts of that, and we say, Father, when? The good work you've created for me to do as I walk in faith, when? When? Do you think Jesus ever felt that? As the people continue to gather around him. And what, as I read through the life of Christ, what I see so many times is Jesus ministered to these people as he was actually headed somewhere else. He didn't see them as distractions or as things to keep him from accomplishing what was getting to, but rather the opportunity in the moment to minister. And it's what I affectionately call ministry along the way. And I think we see it so clearly here in these verses. Does it mean we should never set aside that time and be intentional with that time with our Father? No, because we saw Jesus do that as well, and we know that is important. And that is where our faith is strengthened and grown, and we draw from that in ourselves. But the ministry along the way. And if God created these good works for me beforehand, he also knew my schedule, right? And instead of having the mentality of, God, I'm going to show up to this place, and I, what can I do for you here now that I'm here? Instead, God, what have you already been doing that I get to be a part of? What have you already been doing in that cashier's life that I always seem to end up in their line at the grocery store that you now want me to speak into? What is it you've been doing to the, in the life of that guy who we always end up on the same team at the pickup basketball games and walk to our cars together afterwards that I can now be a part of, that you've called a good work in me to do? What is it you're doing in that co-work that we always end up having lunch together, in that co-work? And what is it you would have me to be a part of? And as we attune our ears to the Holy Spirit and to his promptings, as we go along the way, and he opens the doors for ministry, the good works that he created for us to partake in beforehand, before we were in that moment, the ministry along the way as we live our lives of faith. Being assured of the things to come and convicted of the things unseen that we get to share with those around us. What a cool opportunity. What an exciting time to be a son and daughter of the living God. What an amazing moment to be a minister of the gospel and to have the opportunity and a father who opens doors along the way. They are not a distraction. They are not a hindrance, but a great and glorious eternal opportunity.
So be encouraged. Be encouraged. God wants to use us right where we are. As we share up our faith and walk in obedience in our everyday. Ministry doesn't just happen here, 8.30 to 11, right? It doesn't just take place at small group or men's breakfast. This is an overflow of celebration and praise of what God has been doing the other six days. And a catalyst into what he is doing in the next six. What a cool, cool opportunity. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our time together. Thank you that you would entrust us with the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you would entrust us with the message of the cross. Thank you for the gift of faith. That we may be assured of the things to come. We may be assured of heaven, of a new earth, of eternity with you. Those things hoped for. We may be convicted of the things that are unseen. And in those convictions, we may live our lives for you, ministers of the gospel. As we go forward, may we be mindful of the moments. The moments of ministry that you put before us. To minister along the way. Bless us now as we continue in worship. Through giving, through song. We love you. We serve you this day in Jesus' name.